Our next session, I'd like to welcome to stage the editor at Granta, an editor at Granta, and now an award-winning author of the genre-defying, completely um, unfailingly moving Grief is a Thing with Feathers, the lovely Max Porter. All right, thank you. Can we talk about James? Yeah. What would you like to say? That, well, on top of an already extraordinary day's programming and, and conversation and insights and rich, you know, treasure, that was the most, that was the best hour uh, of literary festival ever. <laughs> um, but I'm... Um, I mean, it's to, to be on the same stage as that piano and, and him is, you know, to be, to be in the same astral plane as them is an honour, but the same stage. But I wanted to just pick up on a thing he said about the 88 keys, mm. because he said almost precisely what I would uh, say about um, the 26 letters of the alphabet mm. from such extraordinarily deceptively simple tools. We can build anything we want, mm. and it's a miracle. Daily miracle, as we've seen this morning, and, and, it, and he he came close to describing what what we're all getting at is the wonder of it. Anyway, go on, Sam. After you, you know, <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I think we probably should talk about grief a bit. Mm. Anyway, um, I've ripped up the readings you suggested. Have you? Well, I just have been inspired by what other people oh, have said fine, to possibly good. read some different I mean, the, the difficulty, of, of I course... I tried to find you to tell you this, but, you know... I've underlined every line in this book, so you'd have no... <laughs> you'd, like, which... Where am I going? So we just... We'll ditch that. That's fine. Um, why... Why even write about grief? To probe it? To, to, to make us feel better? Why arrive at grief as a subject? Um, it, it didn't occur to me that I would make anybody feel better, no. Um... It is the subject for me. That's why I replaced the word grief with hope from, from Emily Dickinson's famous poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers, because I, I feel that grief is as huge, that, it, that it, takes, it takes, it roosts in the human, in the human being with, with similar vast generative possibilities, that it is something we can work better at that as a civilization we should be possibly working better at, especially in difficult times. Um, something that I have never stopped thinking about. It's the fabric of, of I mean, I, I can quote my own book, it's the fabric of, of my selfhood, is, is grief. And, but the interesting thing about that is a lot of people will, or I can see how people would hear that and think, you know, there'd be a trite response of, such as that sounds very sad or that sounds very intense. But you're describing something there that is wider than sadness, mm. aren't you? Well, if it's only making you sad, you need to work harder at it. Mm. And if it's only if you're only thinking about grief in the context of deathbeds and funerals, mm. then you're missing the point, mm. I think. And you should be connecting it to the birth of children, to mm. the falling in love, mm. to the listening to music, mm. to the tattooing of composers' <laughs> names on your arm. Um, and so it is a plea, or at least one of the characters in this book is a plea for us to mourn better, mm. to mourn, uh, to mourn more beautifully, mm. um, rather and than truthfully. just feeling sad and then moving on. It struck me in the um, 
the response that you got to this book, apart from the kind of oceans of accolade, there was this worrying about one, um, was it, you know, was this based on fact? As if mm, somehow mm. the fact, the factualness of it would make it truer somehow. Mm, mm. And if it wasn't factual, how could it possibly be true? <laughs> and then the other did a thing, Did a giant imaginary crow move yeah. in with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the loss, the fact yeah. of the loss. Yeah. Um, you know, is that, was that truthful? And if it wasn't a fact, if it wasn't biographical, how could this be true? Then there was a lot of worrying about whether it was a novel or poetry. Lots of kind of wondering about that. And then I was struck particularly by the, the blurb that says, you can read it in half an hour and it'll stay with you for your whole life. Which almost reminds me of the medical response to grief. You know, if it's not over in six months, you need to fix yourself somehow. Yes. These things that are trying to kind of encapsulate it and reduce mm. it. Mm. Well, um, people are welcome to try... <laughs> What, you know, people are welcome to do what, what they want to do. I, I find it perplexing. Mm. I, I, it's an it's an anti-algorithm book, if it's anything. Um, I mean, it's a love letter first and foremost. But I suppose what I'm writing a love letter to is the freedom of movement between things. It's an anti-box book. It doesn't. It suggests that if you have a bookshelf and it's got children's books and, and poetry and prose and essays and that they are all, that's the lateral axis rather than the vertical axis. That's, that's the gorgeous axis, that, that your, your mum and dad may indeed fuck you up, um, but, but what is happening between your siblings and your peers and the writers you meet at festivals and your colleagues and co-workers, and that's, that's the thing. And everything you've read and listened to and experienced is all polluting and, and organically threading around the thing. So the idea that someone might sit in, in, in Amazon HQ thinking, I just can't, I just can't place it. So we can't sell it. We can't, you know, we can't shove it into the, into the, the, econ box. the economic imperative, which we must all at all times blindly obey, then screw them, you know. Um, and as it happens, it meant that people just kept it on the front till. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, or, in, or in their pocket. I actually saw that once. I was in a bookshop and I was too shy. For a long time, I was too shy to say anything, you know, because um, I know how tiresome that is in bookshops. But I saw this uh, a woman's, you know, poor, unsuspecting customer standing by a table to look choosing a book. And this guy came over and went, may I suggest? And they, and they both looked at the table and he went, this? <laughs> and it was my book. <laughs> uh, it helped that it, it was pocket-sized. Um, you know, I, 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 it's a serious thing that the, 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 this pressure we all have to label and name, um, and I think the most ludicrous thing to do that to, barring human, human beings, human consciousness itself, is literature. Mm. Um, the, I, I find it grotesque, the idea that you would walk into a bookshop and... and, and you, um, literary fiction lover, male, um, would go towards the table and there would be a load of things branded and you know, very carefully crafted signifiers in, in compelling you to pick it up blindly like a robot and take it to the till. And that if you were to stray into, God forbid, books written by women uh, or, or, or children's books or dictionaries, then you've somehow broken the, this, this late capitalist stupidity. Well, it's almost a fear, isn't it, though? It's, a it's, kind oh, it's, of fear. Every, it's all fear. It's a version Absolutely. of fear, isn't it? And so maybe, in a way, what you're describing with grief being everything and wide is in itself a response and an antidote to that mm. confining and crippling fear. 
Mm -hmm. I just want to think about the characters then in the book. There's the father, who's a, who's a huge scholar, whose wife has died suddenly, with, a, with no warning. The two boys, who are presented as a character, a, mm. per, a, a person almost, and then this figure, the crow figure, who is a mythic presence in the house. Mm. Uh, a joker, a trickster, um, but also, in fact, their, their rescue. And, and, and he also exists literally yes. in, in the domestic yes. plane. Mm. Tell me about Which, Well, that was profoundly important to me yeah. because I think a lot of writing about grief strives for this sort of polished philosophical <laughs> tone, yeah, as if yeah. when someone dies we all become Oxford-educated um, polishers of sentences, and I, and I, and I think that may, may be true, and, and good luck to them, and I've certainly read a lot of books that, that do that, and, and they're, they're revelatory in their own ways, but I often think, where is, where is real life in here? Where is the fact that your children still shit themselves and, and, and need um, packed lunches made when they are grieving? Um, humour doesn't disappear. I find that fundamentally um, problematic in, in, the, in the writing about mourning from some people. Um, life is very sad and very funny. So I wanted a character that was very funny while he was dealing with something profoundly sad. That felt true. That felt like a gesture I could make towards the truth of it. He's more than funny. He's... He's really he's um, he's positively nasty at times, and he's, <laughs> is he's, that what comes? Is that what no, no, more no, than no, funny no. is? Well, there was a time <laughs> when you run out of bedside jokes, do you just go nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I never run out. Of oh, I'm supposed jokes. to ask you whether you believe in God, Michelle Faber. <laughs> Should we do that now? No, we're gonna we're gonna. I'm gonna bring you back to the fact he actually is quite nasty at times. So there's yeah, a time yeah, yeah. when, in fact, he. He, there's, there's a story in there where he asks the boys to make a perfect replica yes. of the mother. They both do this, and you describe it, you know, in that way that you can visualise them. You know, mm. their, their tongues are poked out of their mouth, they're intent, because mm. he promises them, whoever, which of you makes the perfect replica, we will bring her back. And then at the end, they do this, and he doesn't. And unlike the, a pure Grimsian character, he starts to falter and feel a bit worried about yeah. it and upset that he's brought them to the precipice of hope, yeah. only for it to be dashed again. So there's a fairy tale um, caddishness, I suppose, mm -hmm. if not mm -hmm. nastiness, mm -hmm. to him, which is truthful, isn't it? It's not sentimental. It's presenting the world and its awfulness honestly. Um, and the fact it's terribly painful, because we vacillate, don't we, between hope and and grief, and loss. Well, thank you. I mean, I, uh, that originally was a scene. I mean, the fairy tale is the, is the key word in there because mm. I think that what they offer you, they are my desert island books time and mm. time again, actually, that I think if, if forced to choose what I find most most rewarding and, and most swimmable in, 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 in all of literature, it's, 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 it's the fables and the Why? myths. Um, because of the, I mean, it, it, I, I could almost, the answer I'm going to give could almost be applied to poetry as well, actually, but I'll give it. It's, it's the exactitude with, with, the, with the freedom, with the looseness. It's, it's that it's the most lethal thing. I mean, it's funny listening to Lavinia talk about um, gender and poetry and the assumption that, that poetry is sort of soft mm. and squidgy. Um, and that, that seems to me so strange, mm. given that I go to poetry for its devastating yeah. speed yeah. of yeah. impact yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what it can do in a short space of time. It's like the hardest of the drugs. I, um, I, I, 
the, fa the, the fairy tales, I mean, so for example, a book I, I, I really would say from, that, from the Burning House is, is the Pantheon paperback edition of Russian fairy tales. Mm -hmm. But the Russians get it so right, and they're wild. And it's that whole, I mean, he, he, Crow, Crow riffs on it a little bit in the book, but it's the whole kind of good brother, bad brother, evil stepmother, <laughs> you know, dead, baked in the oven, gone, happily married. You know, it's just bang, 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 bang. And, and, and what you have is this exhilarating entertainment, mm -hmm. this relentless wit, mm. this fearlessness as regards to big subjects, i.e. we're nasty people, mm. we lie and cheat and mm. screw the planet. Um, uh, with, with the fact, and so what you have, they're archetypes, and as a reader, and, and, and as, a, as a crow who's come to help this broken family and, his, and what's in his uh, suitcase, is in, in, his, in his doctor's bag, is storytelling, mm. is, is encouraging these children to, to play with the narratives of mm. their loss. That is love. That is his love. And, and in the fairy tales, you have that. You have these, these templates which you're free to colour in yourself. And I think that's gorgeous. Yeah, okay. Same as interpreting a piece of music. Well, can we hear that piece? That bit... Um, sorry, I'm still on pieces. Um, can we hear that bit where he... The fairy tale bit where he's asking them to... Well, you've just given it away a well, bit, Well, it's fine. Sam. I haven't, I've given away the ending, which isn't the story. Where is it? Do you want me to find it in my underline? Yeah, because it's not one of the ones I folded down, Sam. Oh, yeah, here we go, here we go, here we go. Crow. Once upon a time, there was a babysitting bird. Let's call him Crow. He had read too many Russian fairy tales, Lazy Boy Burn, Baba Yaga Howl, Decent Prince Win, but was nevertheless an authorised and accredited caregiver, much admired by London parents, much in demand of a Friday night. On his newsagent advert, it was written, Nappy Valley and beyond. The telly went off and Crow suggested a game. You two boys, he said, must each build here on the floor a model of your mother, just as you remember her. And whichever of you builds the best model will win. Not the most realistic, but the best, the truest. The prize is this, said the crow, stroking their shampooed hair. The best model I will bring to life, a living mother to tuck you up in bed. And so the boys set to it. The one son went for drawing, furiously concentrating like a little waist-high fresco painter, scrabbling hands and knees on the scaffold. 37 taped-together sheets of A4 paper and the full rainbow of crayons, pencils and pens, his front teeth biting down on his lower lip, heavy nasal sighing as he adjusted the eyes, scrapped them, started again, working his way down, happy with the hands, happy with the legs. The second son went for assemblage, a model of the woman made from cutlery, ribbons, stationary toys, buttons and books, manically adjusting, leaping up, lying down like a mechanic in the pits, clicking and tutting as he worked his way around the mosaic mum, happy with the face, happy with the height, and stop, said the crow. They are both extraordinary, he said admiring their work. You've got her smile. You've captured her posture. Her shoulders were hunched to that exact degree. And the boys couldn't wait to find out who had won. Which one? Which mum? But Crow started hopping, avoiding their gaze, suppressing a giggle and turning away. Crow? Which one of these fake mums has won us a real one? And Crow was quiet, laughing no more. Crow, don't be funny. Let's have our real mummy. And Crow started crying. And the boys cooked Crow in a very hot oven until he was nothing but cells. <laughs> <clears throat> the 
let me read another book. Loads of it. I'm going to stay here for hours. And Crow talks about, in, in keeping with the mythic and the fabling, long-lived imagined animals, the need and the capacity, that both, in fact, this, this deep human need for these mythic presences in our life. Yes. But the fact we can do it as well, which is... Against all the odds, mm. against the way that, mo that, that life is, is, is massaging or pushing us, we must remember how to imagine such things and to welcome them into our lives and to not simplify their presence when they do come. Crucial thing, I think, about this as a, as a, as a device is that it's not the dad's imagination. Mm. It's not a figment of this man's imagination. He cannot be diagnosed. He is not a psychotic mm. thing. He, he he's also in the boys' lives and, mm. and helping them colour in and doing little shits in the man's flat that he, that he knows the man will never find. Um, and that was crucial to me. There was a really point, because the boys aren't fixed in time, are they? They're going back and forth through their lives and points where they look back with great tenderness at their father recalling Crow. And there's a line where they said, perhaps if Crow had taught him anything, it was a constant balancing, for want of a less dirty word, faith. Now that's really interesting. This word keeps coming up today, uh, yeah. uh, reverence, divinity, faith. Why that word? Um, why is it a dirty word? Well, or why, why might it be it? something oh, okay. you gave them? I, yeah. I, um, I think what I was considering, and it may be relatively autobiographical, is what do you do when you have perhaps when your atheism, I mean, at, at actually around the same, I was raised in the Church of England and I, I rejected it around the same age Michelle was saying he rejected it this morning. Um, and what do you do if you respect the moral architecture of that system but have felt betrayed by its dogma or its doctrines? And what do you do if you yearn for some aspects of it, deeply yearn for some aspects of it, as I have found myself this year, in fact, yearning? <laughs> For the for the for the compass of kindness that I that I saw in some people in the church, and I don't see in our politicians. Right. Okay. And I found that heartbreaking. So that's why he's saying it's a dirty word because he's aware that this is an institution that has done mm. such mm. reputable harm, mm. as we were just hearing. Mm. Mm. Um, so, but what it, what he's wanting to give these children is the possibility of an investigation of their own spirituality. Mm specifically and bespokely related to their love of their mum. Mm. And that, he extends to involve the taking of the piss uh, out of him and her. And, and uh, the looseness and the sort of... It's a bit like accepting that you are haunted but you might not believe in ghosts. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a resistance to the literal. Um, and, 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 I, and I also want them, I want them to... I want them to be open to the sort of vibrations of, of, of spirituality, you know, that... that Wonder. <laughs> well, it's interesting what you say about the taking of the piss of her because it's almost as if that kind of irreverence. So there's a there's a period there's a point in here in which, in order to miss um, their mother and um, the man's wife, they do things like pee on the toilet seat, yeah. leave the toothpaste open. So it's mm. phenomenally tender because we all recognise when we put the toilet seat down, we close the toothpaste. So it. it recreated her in a way that was on the surface of it oddly irreverent and taking mm -hmm. the piss mm -hmm. but 
made that um, the gap between them and her evident. The mm. loss was really realised in that expression. Yeah. Does that? Yes. Well, I think that one must. This is this is my resistance to concepts of moving on and packaging up yes. because to arrive back at a perceived no, perceived normal. Yes. What a daft concept it is, yes. and and how and how hideously offensive it is to the very fact of us all being broken anyway and that brokenness being necessary and beautiful and unique to us and wonderful um wonderful uh, you know so th there's things they say and some of those are based in fact for me so for example someone told me i'll actually have never spoken the truth of this but i will now there's a bit in the book where they say we thought she could see us through mirrors <laughs> and they sort of speculate that she might be waiting for them or it might be a big test and these sorts of parallel fantasies what that in fact was was a boy at school said to me Unbelievable thing to say, actually. Uh, my, our, my dad had died, and we'd gone back to school, and people were quite nice to us. This kid came up to me and went, you know, dead people can see you if you fiddle with your willy. <laughs> and therefore, I always had this idea that if I... I mean, speaking of, you know, Catholic paranoia, but the, the, this idea that if I were to fiddle with my willy, my dad would watch. And that, of course, turned into a kind of... Um, <laughs> a kind of collaborative... Um, joyride into puberty with the idea that my dad would be going, hey, have a little fiddle. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it, by that stage, I didn't believe that my dad would be watching me. I, I knew that it was a nonsense, but I was pleased to have it like a myth, like a fairy tale, like a superstition, like saying good morning to a magpie. I was pleased to have it on board. Because there's a load of really rubbish stuff to think about, you know, phoning Vodafone or you know, ordering stuff on Amazon. But that's quite a lovely thing. Yes. The idea that my dad be going, God, he's actually fiddling with it a bit much now. <laughs> you know, you know, like, I bet you did. You know, and I'm not so good. You know, I, I, I don't believe in it. But, but what a nice little game to be playing in my you mind. You don't believe in it, but the way in which it establishes meaning and connectivity... Connectivity. ...is elusive in the, in the kind of um, slightly surface ways in which we yeah. think we might arrive there. And I think that's what this book does. It's, it's, it's jouissance for me. It's it's the not it's it's the letting of things that are deemed painful mm. by the norm by the happiness industry by the normalisation mm, yes. industry, yes. letting them be part of your ecstatic um, regime. Yes, finding you know so that the idea that you, the, that I, that that I am not that I'm not I'm going to stop that part of your ecstatic regime. That's a gr I'm going to tattoo that, but it's not. <laughs> we're not. That's not the same as happiness. On your willy. Well. <laughs> That's a lot of words. <laughs> okay, Past you do ecstatic. I'll do regime. <laughs> I love that I've lowered the tone so incredibly yeah, and rapidly, quickly. Uh, part of your ecstatic regime. Now that in itself isn't the same as some kind of frivolous joy. It's it's wider, no, isn't it? It's no. more complex and nuanced and problematic in some ways. It should be problematic. Yeah. That's lovely. But yeah. I think also that that's why it it, it falls to to, to both poetry, children, except, but ultimately children, to, to guide us in that blend of of, of, the, of the silly and the serious, mm. uh, um, you know, need, needing of needing to let off steam, needing to shriek, need, you know, the sort of anti-funeral mm. beauty of children, the wailing <laughs> and the funny, and, and and then and then needing peace and calm and security. Mm. Um, 
that that's why children fascinate me. That that's that's what it's a love letter to, I suppose, ultimately. And in many ways, Crow is childlike, isn't he? He 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 he's come. Nothing is more appealing to him than motherless children. They they are they of are all the human grief. beings yeah. he's ever seen, and he's become an expert in the behaviour of of human beings. And he finds them more or less dull, except this case study, this specific thing of motherless children, because they're wide, they're raw and wide open, and desperate for stories. And that, I mean, if I may, that. The quote from there is, but I care deeply. I find humans dull, except in grief. Motherless children are pure crow. That's the definition there of pure crow. That's crow. Can you read us? He says it is ripe, rich, and delicious to Mm. raid such a nest. Let's have a reading. Well, I wanted to read this bit because I thought that some of the things people have said today have been about this moment and what... Of, of encounter with 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 a funny shaped uh, worm bug, um, zombie worm bug, or with the sound of music, or with the facts of your parents' departure, or any of these things, and and how to go about that. Isn't that the challenge? And actually, Ted Hughes, who who plays a part in this book, writes very beautifully about this in Poetry in the Making, where he talks about the challenge of poetry and poetic description, and he says. You see, you, you want to write about a crow, and then he does write about a crow, and it's just... I mean, Ted Hughes' prose has been overlooked, but God, I mean... He, so he describes a crow, and That's he says... That's a tattly, Yeah, phrase. tattered, beggarly, sleek, the undertaker <laughs> ghoulishness, the sleek... Ah, oh, just extraordinary. Just and then he says, you look at a crow, and you realise all that falls away. <laughs> and that gap between those things, between oh. the experience and the attempt to write about experience, is the thing, and it's why it's so addictive. And he, he also says, you see someone on the street, and you know them. You know about them, and it's a, it's a, it's a psychic no, warmth that you try to capture in your writing. Um, so, but, but I wanted to talk about that that moment with, when you are in love with children, and and you and and, it, and it's a, it's it's wonder. Um, so I will read it. Dad, moving on as a concept was mooted a year or two after by friendly men on behalf of their well-intentioned wives women who loved us, women who knew me as a child. Oh, I said, we move. We fucking hurtle through space like three magnificent break-failed bangers. Thank you, Jeffrey. And send my love to Jean. (laughs) Moving on as a concept is for stupid people because any sensible person knows it is a long-term project. I refuse to rush. The pain that is thrust upon us let no man slow or speed or fix. So I walked into their room. In the navy blue middle of the night in summertime, and I listened to them breathing. Duvets smashed and tangled, little soft limbs emerging from robot and pirate print cotton, and assorted soft toys. My wife and I used to come in, tuck them in, and marvel at how perfect they were asleep. We laughed at how beautiful they were. It's insane, we said. It was insane. And I stood and breathed their air and considered, as always, things like fragility, danger, luck, imperfection, chance, being kind, being funny, being honest, eyes, hair, bones, the impossible, hectic, silent epidermis rejuvenating itself, never nervous, always kissable, even when scabbed, even so salty, I made it. And I felt so many nights utterly, totally yanked apart by how much I loved these children. And I asked them loudly, do you want to move on? No reply. Should we think about moving on? 
The swish and ruffle of air in nostrils, clacking tongues, sighs, the gentle, invisible, concentrated upper air of a room in the top of a flat where young people are dreaming. No, I said. I agree we are doing just fine. Crow joined me as I left shutting the door and got me in a cosy headlock. You're not alone, kid. There's one more bit. We've got time. Can stay on to it? Yeah, we've got loads of time. Good to go? Well, only because it's, it's a science crowd. <laughs> and then I'll shut up. Dad, listen to this too good to miss. Oh, go away, crow. Man, how do you know when you've found something worth picking at? Bird. Well, much of it has to do with a state of readiness, which is both instinctual, the hungers, the vices, etc., and pragmatic. Nice-looking Chris Packet, nice-looking widower. You'll remember with some of my early work with you that what appeared to be primal Corvid vulgarity was in fact a highly articulated care program designed to respond to the nuances of your recovery. Man, did I respond as well as you'd hoped? Bird, better. But the credit should go to the boys and to the deadline. I knew that by the time you sent your publisher your final draft of the Crow essay, my work would be done. Man, I would be done grieving? Bird, no, not at all. You were done being hopeless. Grieving is something you're still doing and something you don't need a crow for. Man, I agree. It changes all the time. Bird, grief? Yes. Bird, it is everything. It is the fabric of self and beautifully chaotic. It shares mathematical characteristics with many natural forms. Like? Well, where to begin? Oh, feathers. Turds, waves, honeycomb, string, intestines, birds, feathers, oh shit, said that, cat flaps, wait, no, wait, wait, hats, maps, traps, books, rooks, creeks, speaking my beats in my... Man, this is ridiculous. I feel if my wife's ghost had ever haunted me, now would be the time she'd start saying, you need to ask Crow to leave. There's a lot, a, th a theme that comes up almost every year at this event is um, medicine and its engagement with death and the idea that we, we, we're dissociated from death. There's a momentum to perpetually intervene and uh, technically intervene in a way that doesn't recognise human mortality. Doctors are frightened of death. Um, but I just wonder, reading this and thinking a bit more marginally about mm. grief, whether in fact what we might be frightened of is, is grief and, and what comes with that rather than per se death and the feelings that are attached, the enormity mm. that's attached to it. Hope is another word that comes up all the time. Um, and I just wondered if you might say something about why the, the original poem, Hope is a Thing with Feathers, and how that original title resonates with this and hope and grief and where you place those two. Well, so many people have spoken so eloquently today. Um, and the thing that kind of beamed itself across to me uh, was kindness. And that if we're going to send something to another planet, let it please be kindness, not space junk. Um, and if we're going to, to do something about this extraordinary welfare state, then let it please be redesigned along the lines of kindness, not profit. Um, 
And I think that that is what I hope for, um, and that I know that the death of people I love will be what throws that hope most sharply into focus for me. Um, but there's a simple there's a simple answer, um, which is Emily Dickinson, um, because I think if you are I was I was had the honour of of, of briefly um, talking last night with Lavinia about this. If you are interested in the possibilities of language to address the strange peculiarities of human consciousness and, and fear and love and faith and the void, all signs point to Emily Dickinson, whose investigation of it was so radical and so relentless and so fragmentary that, that, that the, collect, the collected Emily Dickinson is, is a sort of still an object of great danger for fools. It, it, it poses a great threat to those that seek to simplify um, or lie. Uh, so, so the reason I did it was, was a quiet way of, of saying she's the boss. Um, yeah. In a moment, we're going to ask some questions. We're running a little bit late, but we'll catch up. I just, could you please read the last section when they arrive at the beach? want me to? I do, a lot. <clears throat> I'm not in the habit of reading it, but, um, but I'd love to. I'll just run into it. Okay. I'll be quick. That's fine. Boys, this is what we know of Dad. He was a quiet boy. He drifted off on family walks. He doodled and drew, and his feelings were easily hurt by rough kids at school. He didn't have a head for sums. He spent the first 20 years of his life reading books, being not bad but not skilled at football and waiting for mum. He loved the Greek myths and Russians and Joyce. He was waiting to be our dad. And then our mum and dad were in love and they were truly dry stone strong and durable. And people speak of ease and joy and spontaneity and the fact that their two smells became one smell, our smell, us. Afterwards he was quieter. He was for two or three years by all accounts very odd. He had the perpetual look and demeanour of someone floating, turning in the beer-gold light of evening and being surprised by the enduring warmth. A rolled-over shoulder, half-squint, half-smile, caught baffled by the perplexing slow release of sadness forever and ever and ever, which I suppose, looking back, was because of us. He couldn't rage. He couldn't want to die. He couldn't rail against an absence when it was grinning, singing, freckling in the English summer, tweedledee, tweedledum, right in front of him. Perhaps if Crow taught him anything, it was a constant balancing. For want of a less dirty word, faith, a howling sorry, which is yes, which is thank you, which is onwards. Dad said it was high time we sprinkled mum's ashes. He phoned the school in the morning to tell them we had a sick bug. I'm in a plague house, he joked with the secretary. It's bad in here. They've got it both ends, if you know what I mean. We laughed. Out you hop, kids. Coats on, hats on. Let's do it. Dad. We went to a place she loved. I told him in the car on the way that I realized it had been an unusual, I had been an unusual dad since mum died. They told me not to worry. I told them all that nonsense about Crow was over. I was going to get a bit more teaching work and stop thinking about Ted Hughes. They told me not to worry. We parked the car and walked diagonals into the wind. We pissed and the wind blew our wee back against our trousers. 
While the boys were digging in the shingle, I dozed off, and when I woke up, they were asleep next to me like guards with their hoods up. I was warm. I didn't wake them. I walked to the shoreline. I knelt down and opened the tin. I said her name. I recited Love Song, a poem I like a great deal, but she never thought much of. I apologized for reading it and told myself not to worry. The ashes stirred and seemed eager, so I tilted the tin and I yelled into the wind, I love you! I love you! I love you! And up they went. The sense of a cloud, the failure of clouds, scientifically quick and visually hopeless, a murder of little burnt birds flecked against the grey sky, the grey sea, the white sun, and gone. And the boys were behind me, a tide wall of laughter and yelling, hugging my legs, tripping and grabbing, leaping, spinning, stumbling, roaring, shrieking, and the boys shouted, I love you, I love you, I love you. And their voice was the life and song of their mother, unfinished. Beautiful, everything. <clears throat> and then again, Thank every you. time, gets me weeping.